Thank you, team. That will get us over jet lag this morning. <laughs> One hour jet lag. I remember sometimes I would go with 12 or 14 hour jet lag, and I'm on the other side preaching. <laughs> I'm still asleep, but preaching. <laughs> Several years ago, a rabbi wrote a best-selling book. It was a runaway bestseller, entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Some of you might remember this. It made headline news all over the networks. And in that book, I'll summarize it, so please don't read it. <laughs> After pontificating in the book for a little while, he goes on to conclude basically two things about God, about suffering, and about why good people suffer. He said, either God is not as powerful as we think He is, or He is powerful but not loving. That's his two conclusions. Now, here's the problem. Both he and millions of others fail to recognize that this planet Earth is sin-riddled, that this planet Earth is sin-cursed, this planet Earth is sin-filled with trouble, sorrow, pain, and suffering. In fact, Job confirms that in chapter 14, verse 1, man born of a woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Jeremiah in 2018 asks, why did I ever come forth of the womb? to look on troubles and sorrow. Please hear me right. Many of the great saints in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament um, will become very distressed at times. And I want to share this with you for your encouragement to understand that all these great men and women of God, they have gone through some distress of what they perceived or when they perceived that God sometimes seemed to be distant, that He seemed to be unconcerned about the troubles that we're going through. And, and that is a natural feeling, and it comes from the flesh, and, and I understand it. I really do. But we all need to understand that when you, when you read some of the Psalms, at times you realize that the, all the psalmists, including David, have felt that way. In Psalm 10, I ask, is it why do you stand far off, O Lord? I know some of you are feeling that way. In Psalm 44, the sons of Korah asked the question, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and oppression? David himself, through his own crucible of doubt and the times that he was going through, the difficult times that he was going through. In Psalm 13, 1, he said, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face <clears throat> from me? Even our precious Lord himself, who came from heaven for the one purpose of dying on the cross at that moment of separation for the first time since before eternity between him and the Father as he carried your sin and mine on his holy shoulders, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? 
please hear me right, no one can deny the universality of pain and suffering. No one. We all experience them. We all experience them. I remember back before I was going for ordination, we had the retreat of the or, or, on the ordinance. This was back in 1974. And I remember a wise man from England who came to lead that retreat, and, and, and he said something to us that I have never forgotten. He said, always remember this. In any congregation, any given congregation, you're going to find that third of that congregation is just coming out of suffering. Third of the congregation is in the middle of suffering. And one-third of the congregation is about to go into suffering. So whatever third you belong to, uh, you only you know that. I want you to know that you have a word from the Lord for you this morning. We all have a word from the Lord this morning, from the Word of God, not from me. Uh, this uh, rabbi's book misuses the whole point. It misses the whole point. And the conclusion is that when bad things happen to good people, is totally erroneous, simply because none of us are good. None of us are good. Uh, from God's perspective, in Psalm 143, 2, no one is righteous. In Romans 3, 23, we all have sinned. In Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. So the question we should be asking really is this, why do good people, why do uh, good things happen to bad people? <laughs> That's really the question. Why do good things happen to bad people? Even the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are redeemed by His precious blood, they suffer. Why? Because we still live in this sinful, fallen world. But unlike what happens to the non-believers, when suffering comes uninvited and unwelcome to the believers in the believer's life, it is not judgment. Can I repeat that? When suffering comes uninvited, unwelcome, and has nothing to do with anything we've done, it is not judgment. It is not God's judgment. And so I want to give you first, before I get to the text, I want to give you very quickly four things, four things. Write them down if you're taking notes. Four things as to why a believer suffers in this life. First, it is to purify us, as we saw in the last message. It's, it's to purify us as gold and more than gold, actually more precious than gold. According to Peter in 1 Peter 1.6-7, he said, you greatly rejoice in your salvation. We rejoice in that we are saved, and we are eternally forgiven, and we are on our way to heaven. He said, you rightly so. You greatly rejoice. Keep on rejoicing. Even though, can you say that with me? Even though you suffer for a little while to purify our faith being more precious than gold. In the last message, I showed you the dual role of the fire the fire of judgment and from Luke 12. And, 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 the, and, the, and the fire burns anything that's combustible, but it purifies gold. 
Secondly, the second thing I want to tell you about suffering for the believers. I'm talking to believers right now. When it is not the consequences of anything we've done, when it is not the consequences of anything we've done, and suffering comes, what it does, it presses us deeper and closer to the heart of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul speaking of his suffering. Now remember, I don't think other than our Lord Jesus Christ and the crucifixion, no one suffered more than Paul. He got lashed, he got whipped, he's got beaten, he's imprisoned. I mean, he suffered hunger and thirst, and you read about it in, the, in, in his epistles. I mean, he suffered so much. But then he comes at, at, at a point in his life, and he says, 1 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 1 of 8, he said, our affliction was excessively beyond our ability to bear. <laughs> Think about this. The guy who have been through so much, he says, but this affliction that I'm going through right now, he said, excessively beyond our ability to bear. I can't take it. But why? He gives us the answer. Thank God I don't have to come up with the answer. So he goes on to say, so that, so that we should not trust in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. Now, beloved, listen. For the lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ, any form of suffering, any so form of suffering should make us long for heaven. It should make us long for heaven. And it appears to me at least that it might not be as long as we may think. It makes us long for heaven where there is no suffering, no pain, no tears. The third thing I want to share with you, why God allows suffering for His children, the believers, is that so we may have compassion with others who suffer. I often wondered why I experience lots of things in life. In a very early age, I realize now that it is so I may be able to sympathize and comfort others. You've heard me say this many times. Those of you who may be visiting hear it for the first time. It's my testimony that my greatest times of growing in Christ and through Christ are the times of my brokenness and affliction. It is the times when I am in the valley, not on the mountaintop. God allows that so He can draw us closer to Him. Fourthly, when affliction takes place, in a believer's life, it is a preparation for bearing more fruit, more fruit, more fruit. It is for making our testimony more effective. And so don't waste your affliction. Don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your pain. Let it polish your testimony. Let it sharpen your testimony. Uh, when Jesus talked about the pruning of the vine. I happen to grow up with vines, so I know the pruning and seasonal pruning, and they come in and they clip all those branches. And, and normally you see a little bit of a white, and, and the gardener, we used to call it, he used to call it white blood. It's almost 
as if the vine is bleeding. But it is that trimming, it is that clipping of, of the dead branches that allow the vine to be more fruitful and more of a blessing. I think you know this, but it's worth remembering that for non-believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, this life is as good as it ever going to get. But for us who know and love the Lord Jesus, this is as bad as it's going to get. Can I get an amen? Because we have a heaven to look forward to. One more thing before I get to my text. <laughs> I know this is a very brief introduction. <laughs> the Jewish people in the time of Jesus who were listening to him, we're going to come to the text in a moment. These dear folks who are listening and, 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 and hearing him, they've always been taught by some rabbis that all calamities, all affliction, all suffering is a result of sin. And so, as soon as they see somebody afflicted, ooh, he must have done something bad. She must have done something bad. And our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to correct him here. In fact, you see that clearly in Job's friends, so-called comforters. You know what I'm talking about? When I read the Bible through every year, I tell you, when I come to Job, oh, I groan. I don't mind telling you. I sometimes want to punch those guys. <laughs> I mean, they are so judgmental. They say, you must have done something wrong. Well, he says, I examined my life. And, and this is, yeah, God permitted this for his own purpose. No, 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 no. You must have done something wrong. You're bad. You, you did something wrong. <laughs> and these, the, the, these so-called comforters are miserable comforters. <laughs> but that's what they were taught by some of the rabbis through the years. And our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to correct all that. In John chapter 9, you see that seeped all the way to the New Testament. In John chapter 9, a man born blind, just think about this, born blind. Can you say that with me, born blind? You know what the disciples asked? Who sinned? Did he sin? Where did he sin? In the womb? Did he sin or his parents sinned? Somebody sinned, that's why he's blind. You see, that is the false belief system. That's the falsehood that some of those rabbis were teaching. And, and our Lord Jesus Christ was trying to put things straight, to try and explain the, God's Word accurately. They taught all this stuff to the folks in the Old Testament. Faulty belief system. And Jesus is telling them, listen, all, calamities does not always, 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 or all the time mean that it is a punishment of the wicked. Or those who suffer death are no more sinners than those who survive. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus makes that very, very very clear, namely that we all live on borrowed time. Can you get that? We all live on borrowed time. Did you get it? All of us. 
And the reason God withholds total judgment is because He is merciful, and He gives us one more time for repentance. Um, He is patient. God's patience should never misinterpret it. I know it's being misinterpreted by so many people, and some people in the pulpits even today, they misinterpret the patience of God as tolerance of sin. God's patience must never be taken for granted. God's patience must never be taken as God's approval of sin. God's patience is because He always longs for people to recognize their stubbornness and their sinfulness and repent. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. Beloved, God's perseverance with the fig tree in this parable that I'll be sharing with you in a minute, it is His longing, longing for them to produce the fruit of repentance for every one of us, whether we know the Lord for a day or a hundred years. As I said with this brief introduction, (laughs) now I get to my text. Turn with me, please, to Luke 13. Now, if you're visiting with us, we began a series of messages from the words of Jesus in Luke. We're calling it Enduring Wisdom. Jonathan preached the same text at 9 o'clock. I preached it here at 10.30. In the Pew Bible, it's page 16.19. In the Pew Bible, page 16.19. And as we have been doing throughout this series... I'm going to ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God, and I'm going to read the first verse, then I'm going to let you read the rest of it. Now, there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. the Spirit of Jesus, who authored the entire Bible, I pray that you, in person, visit every heart, every mind, every person who's here. Take the words that you have authored and apply them to each one of our lives, including your servant, the preacher. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Be seated, please. The words in verse 1, very significant because it says, now on the same occasion. This is continuation from chapter 12. He's talking to these people, and we've seen that. For those of you who are not here, download it, get the CD, so you can follow in the series. He's continuing in the same occasion, same talking, same conversation. It's the same continuation of the passage from last week. When they heard Jesus talking about the fire of judgment and the fact that that fire of judgment is coming to the Jews and Gentiles alike, because they thought, oh, that's that's for the Gentiles. We're we're the chosen people. Nothing can happen to us. doesn't matter even how we live. God is going to protect us. So once they heard this and that kind of really that goaded them. They goaded their their self-righteous, pompous attitude, (laughs) taking God for granted, taking the grace of God for granted. And so they asked Jesus about the current disasters. Now, obviously, these are the headlines in the Jerusalem Herald. And they held the headline in the newspapers to Jesus of these two things that have been happening right at that time. Uh, One incident, it took place when Pontius Pilate, that Roman governor, that murderous, coward man who ordered the slaughter of a group of Galilean protesters. They were protesting against the Roman occupation. He literally chopped their heads off. And, and, And such incidents, by the way, they were very common. They were very common by this ruthless and bloodthirsty governor. You know what Pilate reminds me of? Of, of the people of, of our culture today. They really did. Here's Pilate looking at the truth in the face. He's looking at Jesus in the face, the truth and the life and the way and the truth, and he looks at him and he says, what is truth? We're having people in this culture looking at the truth in the eye and saying, what is truth? Your truth, my truth, his truth, and that's why we're in the mess we're in. <laughs> and so the, these were common happening, common incidents of killing these people. Uh, probably the slaughter of these protesters uh, took place around the same time as Passover. You say, how do I know this? Well, simply because Passover is when the Jews came to the temple and they offered their sacrifices and the, uh, the priest uh, offered these sacrifices and the blood of the animals will be flowing down. When he murdered them in the temple, their blood got mixed with the blood of the sacrifices. So great was that slaughter and tragedy. The other tragedy was that it took place when 18 people were standing under the Tower of Siloam. That's about just outside of the southwest side of the wall of Jerusalem. And suddenly, that tower collapsed. And those 18 people who are standing under it, they all were killed. One disaster was man-made. Another disaster was a natural disaster. But given their faulty belief system, they transmitted, which was transmitted to them by the rabbis through the years, they immediately jumped to erroneous conclusions. And here's the worst part. They wanted Jesus to agree with them. 
Beloved, let me tell you something. The few sermons I hear these days are people preaching erroneous false teaching from the pulpits, and they twist the words of Jesus to agree with them. They're baptizing sin into the church now. And when Jesus did not agree with them, they were kind of shocked. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My God have mercy on us. I've been giving a bunch of interviews of media, Christian media lately, and I'm telling you, I am laying the full blame of what's happening to us as a culture at the very lap of pastors and preachers. But far from agreeing with them, <laughs> Jesus sets them straight, and he points to two very important issues. Don't miss them. Don't miss them. Two very important things that he points to them. It is, number one, first, that what truly matters, what truly matters is repentance. It's repentance, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. And secondly, that God's patience, listen to me, God's patience with the non-repentant sinner has a limited time. It has an expiration date. I'm going to explain that again in a minute. First, he said, verse 2, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than the others because they suffered this way? Translation, don't be smug. <laughs> don't be self-righteous. Don't pat yourself on the back and say, oh, I'm good, I'm better than they are. Listen to me. I truly believe that Jesus' answer caught them all, including the disciples, by surprise. I really believe that. You see it from the text, in fact. The word no here is in the emphatic position. So this is how I explain to you the emphatic position. You want to you know what that means? Yeah, okay, thank you. One of you does. He says, I tell you, no. <laughs> That's the emphatic position. <laughs> Beloved, it is true that sometimes God immediately judges wickedness. I mean, right away. Sometimes he does. We see that in the uh, book of Acts chapter 12, when Herod was allowing people to worshiping him as God. And the next thing, flesh-eating worms were just devouring him right on the spot. <laughs> Sometimes God does that. Now, i got to confess to you. You ready to forgive me? Sometimes I wish God would do that <laughs> with some people, <laughs> with some wicked people, <laughs> very wicked people. <laughs> Something else you need to know. There are also built-in judgments in sinful behavior. It's built in. God doesn't bring it from the outside. It's built in the system. <laughs> it's built in it. If I become sexually promiscuous and I get sexually transmitted diseases, it's because it's built in. God didn't do that. It's built in the system. If I commit a crime and end up in prison, uh, it's a judgment that's built in the system. <laughs> it, 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 it's just, it's there. It's a consequence consequences uh, of the judgment that's built in of a sinful behavior. But these two events here, 
not the sort of built-in judgment. This is not the built-in suffering. This is not the built-in experiencing pain because of sin. No. The reason I want to make that distinction is because I want to be faithful and truthful to the Word of God. Now, there are calamities that befall all people without discrimination. Christians, non-Christians, everybody. Look at COVID-19. COVID-19 hit everyone. They didn't come and say, oh, he's a Christian. I better pass him and I got to non-Christian. No, the Christians suffered just as much as, but also the common graces of God comes to the Christians and the non-Christians. The sun is shining for all of us. The rain comes for all of us. The point of our Lord is making here is this. The ones who died not worse sinners than the ones survived. The reason God allows sinners to live so that they may respond to His merciful invitation. Beloved, God is gracious. God is merciful. God is patient because He longs for them to repent. It's the longing of His heart. I tell you, no, unless you repent, you likewise shall perish. In other words, take these calamities as God's loving warnings. Take these tragedies as God's gracious alarm bell that is ringing to wake you up from your stupor. All tragedies, beloved, listen to me, all tragedies must be seen as a warning to everyone to turn to the Lord and escape the judgment that is coming upon the world. These people who were crushed under by the Tower of Siloam, there were not any more sinners than you and I. They're not any more sinners than we are. The, the, he was telling them to that crowd particularly, there were no more sinners than you are. In other words, he is appealing with, to them. He's, he's, he's pleading with them and saying, for your own sake, for your own sake, let any tragedy be a forewarning for you. Be forewarned that judgment is coming upon rebellious people. Be forewarned that unless you repent and turn to Christ for forgiveness, you will suffer worst fate, eternal fate. Uh, for, be forewarned that God's eternal judgment is coming to everyone who refuses the offer of salvation that comes from the cross of Calvary. In fact, those who have heard the warning, but they did not heed the warning, they're going to pay a heavier price, eternal judgment their judgment will be more severe, more tragic, unending, unending. Twice Jesus repeats the phrase, unless you repent, unless you repent, in verse 3 and in verse 5. In the last message from, from Luke 12, we saw the Lord telling them and us to settle accounts with God as soon as possible, before you appear before Him as judge, repent before it's too late, confess your sin before judgment day, turn to God and make your peace with Him 
before it is too late to arrive at eternal life with Jesus as your Savior, not as your judge, because that's the only two categories of people, those who will be received by Him as their loving children who received Him as their Savior, and those who rejected Him, and they have ended up facing Him as their judge. Jesus is emphasizing this twice, unless you, 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 you. What does repentance mean? Please listen carefully. I know most of you say, well, I know what repentance means. I mean, I don't need this. Just be, humor me, okay? Be patient with me. Because I have lived long enough, I've pastored long enough to see that a lot of people really have a confused understanding of what repentance is. They confuse it with feeling bad about what they've done. They really, they think that's feeling bad about it, that's repentance. It is not. Others confuse repentance with an emotional reaction of remorse, having remorse about what you, that's not repentance. That's why I want to make that very clear. But true repentance has nothing to do with this kind of shallow remorseful feeling, which disappears as soon as you get the next entertainment. There are two elements to repentance. Please don't forget them. Don't miss it. Share them with somebody who needs to hear them if you already are a repentant person, okay? First, a person, every person, every human being on the face of the earth must recognize that he or she is a sinner and they have offended a holy God, born with sin, practicing sin, as such, they are heading for a Christless eternity of suffering and turmoil. Not because God is capricious or vindictive. No, 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 no. But because hell, hell is the natural destination of those who offend a holy God. Therefore, you must agree with God. You must agree with God. You, you, I am a sinner. I remember that day as is my yesterday. I am a sinner, and I deserve hell. I cannot save myself. I cannot deliver myself from that dreadful fate. But that's only the first element. Don't stop there. Stopping there would be like what Jesus said when people become regretful of sin, and, but then they don't do anything else, and he said it's like a devil leaving. And then he comes back, he sees the house is still empty, he brings seven more. I've seen that happen in people's lives. But you see, turning away from sin is only the first element. Turning to Christ is the second element. Turning, to, turning from sin, yes, but you turn to Christ, turn to Jesus as the only one, is the only one who can save you from that dreadful fate. Repentance is not just turning from sin, but turning to the only one who not only saves you from sin, but gives you power over sin in this life. Listen, many of you know this. I'm renowned for losing my way. I get lost all the time. There are times I get lost going home. It's not a joke. I'm, I really, that's not, it's not funny. 
uh, I have no sense of direction. Sometimes I find myself in the street and I'm going home and say, what am I doing here? Uh, and, and, and just suppose that I am driving down a 75. And as I'm driving, God forgive me, not very slowly. <laughs> Man, I repent a lot. <laughs> and I'm driving, and then I realize I missed my exit. I missed my exit. So I stay driving, I keep on driving, I keep on driving, I miss my exit. Oh, I'm very remorseful, I missed my exit. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed my I keep saying to myself, oh, I maybe even weep tears over the fact that I missed my exit. None of that helps me. None of this will, 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 will take me to my destination. The only way to remedy this is to turn around the next exit, turn back and come back in the, wrong, in the right direction from going in the wrong direction. That is repentance. That is repentance. Turning from sin and turning to Jesus. Then our Lord moves in to give us an illustration. A story. A parable. The only way our Lord can illustrate to an illiterate society, agrarian society most of the time, is to tell them a story. A story can communicate the theology, the, 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 the depth of what he's trying to say. So he gives them the story. And the story illustrates our precious Lord's amazing patience. He tells us how his loving patience in calling sinners to repent one day will run out will run out. Don't think that you will, have a, you will have a second chance. There's no second chances. This is the only time you can make your peace with God. Once you close your eyes in death, it's over. It shows us how He's persevering and persisting in mercy. But one day, it's going to come to an end. I call this an expiration date. And so to illustrate this, he talked about a fig tree. A landowner owned a beautiful garden, and he comes in in the middle of the garden, he plants and a fig tree, and he plants it well. He plants it well. It wasn't just shallow or anything. No, it's planted well. And now we don't have a lot of Fig tree. I know Marcus has fig tree in his yard, but uh, not many people have fig trees in Georgia. But in Israel, lots of fig trees. As a matter of fact, the fig tree is mentioned at least 50 times in the Bible. Uh, some of these fig trees can grow as high. They're not supposed to be high, but some of them can grow as high as 25 feet. And in addition to the delicious fruit of the figs, the trees have served as a, an excellent source of shade from the scorching heat of the Middle East. <laughs> the gardener took very good care of that fig tree. He protected the fig tree. He provided for the fig tree. He placed it in a great location. He watered it regularly. He fertilized it regularly. And yet to his dismay, he comes in. Season after season, no fruit. 
no fruit. This tragic turn of events causes the owner to be perplexed and to be frustrated at the lack of fruit. That tree has tried his patience. And my pleading with you, do not keep on trying God's patience because that patience one day is going to run out. Let me take a moment. I want to speak, whether you're here in this room or you're watching online right now around the world, I want you to listen to me. If you are a child of a covenant, that is, you grew up in a home with godly parents who invested in you, who taught you the Word of God, who modeled for you prayer and prayer life, who encouraged you to come to Christ and surrender to Him. And you may have done that at some point. Then there were some Sunday school teachers who have poured their life into you, followed by some youth pastors who came and tried to help you in your walk. And after all of these efforts, you turn your back on the faith. I want to tell you, please listen to me. I don't know who's going to be listening to this message. We'll go out, disseminate CDs all over the world. And, and I don't know who's listening, but I can tell you that in the early hours of this morning, I could see clearly that this warning is the last warning to some. To some people, this is going to be the last warning. I don't understand sometimes why the Lord put me in that position, but I am giving you that warning. To some, this is the last warning. This is a severe warning for you. This is a dire warning for you. Turn to Christ now. Repent now. Don't and stop tempting God now. Don't misinterpret God's patience with you as an acquiescence to your sin and rebellion against the Holy God and against His Word. Verse 7. The owner tells the gardener, cut it down, cut it down. Why should it keep on sapping the nutrients and the sun and the water and, and stubbornly refusing to produce fruit of repentance? The gardener pleads with the owner, Give me one more year. Give me one more opportunity. Beloved, this is the Holy Spirit speaking to God the Father and saying to God the Father to give you one more chance, to give you more chance so that the Holy Spirit may speak to your heart directly one more time so that a friend might speak to you one more time, so that you may hear 
that loving invitation one more time so that you may be forewarned one more time so that you may see the suffering of others as an opportunity to wake you up from your condition one more time. In fact, this parable has several applications. As you know, all parables, when Jesus tells them, they have more than just one application. The immediate application is he's talking about Israel. Because you'll see later on, two weeks from now, at the end of this chapter, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem for rejecting him as their Messiah. He weeps. I always feel, and I don't like weeping publicly, I'm in good company. <laughs> Jesus wept. It's probably the primary, the primary application. There's a second application. It's for everyone who have refused to respond to God's means of grace. Everyone. The words next year, this is a, a, an expression, meaning it's an indication that there is a limited time. There's just limited time. It's not going to be forever. It's not going to be for all of life. Once the door of mercy is closed, it's closed. Once you keep on rejecting the invitation and the invitation is withdrawn, it's over. Once the opportunity is totally refused, <laughs> there is no more opportunities. The axe will fall on the unresponsive soul. Beloved, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 60, 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Or you may be a believer. Listen to me. Believers, I want you to listen carefully. And you've been sitting on your blessed assurance and doing nothing, bearing no fruit, And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. This is a word of a challenge for you. And sometimes you probably hear that challenge in your own Bible reading, in your own Bible study, uh, through some friends, through some Christian mentors or family members. And you get temporarily convicted. But then a few days later you move back on. I, Years and years and years ago, I used to have a colleague, and every time I talk about the importance of spending time with the Word of God, and the importance of spending time, and he feels convicted, and he goes and starts, and then a few weeks later, I said, how's it going? He said, oh, I stopped. That's not what we're talking about here. Don't go back to your old ways. Start producing the fruit of repentance now. The time is short. Let's this, let this be a warning to you. Beloved, do not presume on the grace of God. 
because you think that once saved, always saved, mean that you can live any which way, or that you do not fulfill your salvation with fear and trembling, as the Scripture said. I don't mind telling you. There are times when I'm in fear and trembling in the presence of God. When I hear about preachers falling, preachers turning away, when I read that the man who's leading this Freedom from Religion Foundation, they're suing Christians all over the place, trying to destroy Christianity, according to him, was a gospel singer. And to this day, he gets a royalty check from the songs that he wrote. He was a strong believer. Now, I don't mind telling you, that puts me in fear and trembling. I'm not terrified of my heavenly Father. I am not terrified. Listen, you've got to understand, He is my loving heavenly Father. I adore and worship Him. But my fear is that I don't want to offend Him. I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it is my daily prayer for me that I would not fall into the sin of presumption, the sin of presumption. And my beloved friends, that's my prayer for you. And as we come to the Lord's table in a few moments, it is my prayer. Wherever you are, you know exactly what condition you're in, you know what stage of faith you're in, if you're not a believer, turn your life to Christ now. If you are a believer and have been sitting in the pew of salvation, have been doing no fruit at all, bearing no fruit of repentance, make that decision as you walk down that aisle and receive the bread and the wine. Make that to be your covenant time. Father, I am most grateful to you that this month I celebrate that moment in, on March 4th, 1964. when I repented of my sins and turned to you. Father, I pray that this date, 14th of March of this day, this year, 2021, be the day in which so many people making that most important decision in life, turning to you. And Father, may it also be the date of so many who have presumed on your grace, surrender that and begin to live and walk with you and for you. For I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.